Praise God. Well, welcome to our Sunday message, Sunday the 23rd of July, 2023. We'll start by reading from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 10. And I'm going to be reading from verse 24 to 27. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, O my people who dwell in Zion, do not be afraid of the Assyrian. He shall strike you with a rod and lift up his staff against you in the manner of Egypt. For yet a very little while, and the indignation will cease, as will my anger in their destruction. And the Lord of hosts will stir up a scourge for him like the slaughter of Midian at the rock of Oreb. As his rod was on the sea, so will he lift it up in the manner of Egypt. It shall come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck, and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. The yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. Heavenly Father, thank you for your precious word. We pray that it will mean something to us this day and that we will be able to understand what you are saying to us. We will have revelation, divine revelation, that our spirit beings will be educated and equipped for the great task that we have here on this earth. We ask this in the wonderful name of Yeshua. Amen. In theological circles, they have a term which is called the law of first mention. The law of first mention basically is that when something is stated for the first time in the Bible, that first statement has significance which needs to be taken into account as you look at it throughout the Bible, that particular subject. In this particular instance, this is the first mention of this term anointing. The yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. And what we want to discuss this morning is this whole subject of the anointing. Now, once again, another one of these terms that very often we Christians bandy around and are quick to use and probably do have an understanding of, but it's something that we need to continually try and get an understanding about. Once again, if something's vague in our thinking, we're at a disadvantage. So we want to ask this question, what exactly is the anointing? What exactly is the anointing? If you ask Christians that question, very often they've got some vague ideas about it, and not to say those ideas are incorrect, and not to say that one's understanding at any stage is 100%. We're obviously all growing in this, but it's important to realize that there's something about the anointing which we need to know and which we need to understand if we want it to work in our lives. When we look at the scripture, we'll notice something. The prophet is saying that Israel is being oppressed by the Assyrian. However, that the people of God do not have to be afraid because this oppression, this yoke of bondage can be broken. But it's broken by what? The anointing oil. All right, the yoke. One understands a yoke very often from our understanding in this part of the world of the old trek oxen. The oxen are in span. And what has to be put on all of their necks is a yoke. A yoke. Something that is burdensome. All right? It's something that is burdensome. 
And you see, the promise is that this burden will be taken away. This yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. Now, just fast forward into your and my life here on this earth right now. We understand that the enemy, in a sense the Syrian, which is Satan himself and all his minions, their job is to put burdens on us, to put yokes of bondage on us. Now, a lot of us will say, well, I don't have a yoke of bondage. And yet, we're all fighting battles. And every battle can, in a sense, be seen as a yoke of bondage, an attempt by the enemy to put us in bondage. If you look a bit closer to life, you'll realize that this process happens every single day. Every one of us, as children of God and human beings on the face of this earth, face issues. There's always an attempt to undermine us out there. And you see, God's plan was that we should overcome that. We should live above and not beneath. We have to operate in victory. That's his heart's desire. But you see, what we've got to understand is that victory will only come as we operate under what the Bible calls the anointing. It's the anointing oil that breaks this yoke. Now, what is this anointing or this anointing oil? There is a close connection between anointing and anointing oil. And very simply stated, one can understand something. The battle arrayed against us is a supernatural one. It's a supernatural battle that we fight. The word's very clear. Do not fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And you see, the way to fight against principalities and powers, supernatural principalities and powers, is with the anointing. We spoke last week about the Holy Spirit. The two are very closely connected. The whole idea of oil and holy and anointing actually work together, as we are going to show. So let's just understand that this anointing, whatever it is, is something we as children of God need to operate in. And to put it very bluntly, the anointing, as it appears, is the supernatural empowerment of God. The supernatural empowerment of God. Unless we operate under a supernatural empowerment of God, the devil who operates supernaturally will be able to thwart us and stop us. You see, we've got to operate with the anointing. We often see something happening in church and we say, oh wow, that was anointed, like an anointed message. We send something on it. An anointed message is presented with certain power. It doesn't have to be loud. It doesn't have to be noisy. It doesn't have to be shouting. That's not the anointing, although it can express itself that way. But we just know a supernatural empowerment. It cuts through. Without that supernatural empowerment, can I just say, just about any teaching or preaching is pointless. Why? Because supernatural forces will destroy that information. It has to be presented with power. But you see, what we've got to understand is this anointing doesn't limit itself just to activities in the church, to music in the church, or preaching in the church, or prophecy in the church, or activity in the church. It goes beyond that. It actually operates in every single moment of our lives. And as children of God, we need to understand that we must operate with the anointing 
to be effective, to make a difference in the dark world in which we live. So let's look at this anointing business and discover what it really is and understand it as best we can. The next scripture I'd like to just point us to is 1 Samuel, the book of Samuel, the first book of Samuel. I'm going to be reading excerpts from chapter 16. That's 1 Samuel chapter 16. Just to give us a bit of background to this whole story, you might recall that Israel wanted a king. They wanted to be like the nations around them. God had ordained for them to operate with prophets, you see, prophets to give them advice, and so they could live their lives. And as long as they listened to the prophets, they'd be fine. That was the plan. But Israel said, no, we want a king. We want to be like other nations. And God said to them, well, I'm warning you that if you want a king, he's going to take your young men and use them in his arm. He's going to tax you. He's going to take your maidens and get them to work in his palaces. And your life won't be your own. The king will rule your life. He warned them about that. But they said, no, being stubborn, we want a king. So he said, okay, I'll get you a king. Then he appointed Samuel to appoint a king. Samuel was pretty upset about the whole thing. But what God said to him was, don't take it to heart. They haven't rejected you, they've rejected me. So Samuel did what he was told. And part of the process in choosing a king was to take what was known as a horn of anointing oil. That's a cow's horn or a sheep's horn, I'm not too sure what horn, but it was used like a container filled with oil. I don't know what oil it was, most likely olive oil or some form of oil, but he took that oil and you'd go and find the person who was ordained to be king and he would anoint them. That happened to Saul. It's quite a story, you haven't got time to go there. But you see, what happened is Saul, this king, didn't do such a good job and he fell out of favor with God. And in verse 1 here of 1 Samuel 16, the Lord says to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. In other words, God is saying to Samuel, it's time to move on. So he gives them this instruction. Once again, fill your horn with oil and go, I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. All right, I have provided myself a king among his sons. Notice something. God had already looked down from heaven and appointed a king. He had chosen a person. But it was important that God's messenger on the earth go and perform this action of appointing him, which meant anointing him. Anyway, cut a long story short, Samuel makes his way down to Bethlehem and there he finds Jesse and he gets him to get all of his sons together. There are eight sons, actually, but only seven of them were there at the time. And he told them that he's come here to choose the king, and they all passed by him. Let's go to verse 10. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Notice, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. 
So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Notice that. The Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and basically went home. All right, now please, gather something here. You see, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Now, what I want us to see is this whole business of anointing. It involves two things. It involves, number one, choosing and then empowering. The empowering doesn't come without first there being the choosing. First there's the appointing, then is the anointing. With that anointing comes the power of God. The supernatural power of God. Now what we've got to understand is this, that you see, as children of God, we are entitled to operate with the supernatural power of God. But we have to understand that that supernatural power of God is a result of the fact that we have been appointed. If we are fulfilling what we are appointed to do, we can expect God to anoint us for the task. Let me just say that again. If we are doing what we know God has appointed us to do, we can expect him to anoint us for the task. In other words, if I know God has called me to a particular profession, I can expect God to empower me to fulfill that. If I'm called to a particular ministry, I can expect God to anoint that. If I know God has called me to teach, I can expect God to empower that teaching supernaturally. However, if I just put myself into a situation and think, oh, well, this is Christianity and it must be good, I must do it, we might be making a mistake. Now, I need to also say something. There's what I'd like to term general anointing and a specific anointing. What do I mean by that? A general anointing operates for a particular calling or whatever. Say, for example, I know I'm called to be a pastor. I can expect there to be an anointing on my efforts to pastor people. I can expect supernatural wisdom to know what's going on in people's lives and to be able to help them, to give them the right word in season and to be able to pray correctly for them and to counsel if necessary. You see? Now, that's a general anointing. If I am called by God to be a pastor, please note that anointing will only operate in as far as I'm appointed to certain people. Because I'm anointed as a pastor for a particular congregation doesn't give me the right now to go and give advice to people on the other side of the planet. You understand? So that's the general anointing. If you are called, as you know, to be a teacher, you can expect God's empowerment to come on you 
as a teacher to give the authority and the wisdom necessary to teach others. However, there's a difference between general anointing and a specific anointing. A specific anointing will come upon a person for a particular task at a particular time. It may well be in the course of them operating under a general anointing. You might be, let's say, a housewife. There's a specific anointing to be a homemaker, a wife, and a mother. A very powerful anointing to do that. You can expect God to give you the ability to do that supernaturally, which is needed so much more today than ever before, I think. But in the course of operating as a housewife, a homemaker, you might encounter a difficult situation. You might realize that your child has got into some form of difficulty. You see? What you need for that particular situation is a specific anointing to sort that problem out. Supernatural wisdom. Supernatural understanding. That information can come to you because you are anointed to be a parent and you are encountering a particular situation. Because that happens to you there, does that mean that God will give you the same anointing to deal with other people's children? Well, not unless you're a teacher and you have authority in that area. No. My point is this, that you see, when you and I, as children of God, encounter situations and we know we're in the will of God, we can expect God to give us a supernatural empowerment to deal with that problem. You might be anointed, as it were, to be a businessman or businesswoman, to run an industry or whatever, a factory. In the process of running that, you might encounter a certain problem, either with the staff or with the law or with production or with whatever. Cash flow, dealing with banks. You might encounter a difficult problem, theft in the workforce. You see, you can expect God to give you supernatural anointing to deal with that particular situation. You see, supernatural empowerment. Now, we've got to understand something, that that anointing flows from appointing, you see. But I want to take this a little bit further. Please note something, that the moment David was chosen to be king and he was anointed, that does not mean that he suddenly became the king. The title of this message is actually Carrying the Anointing. You see, the supernatural power of God, which is available to us, we have to understand it, we have to treasure it, and we have to learn how to move in it. And let me just say that that anointing in our lives, although it is granted to us by God, by virtue of our position, or our calling, does not mean that it automatically flows. We have to grow into it. We have to understand it, and we have to know how to work with it. Now, what I need to say is this. David was called to be king. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. From there on, supernaturally, 
he moved up through the ranks in Israel and ultimately became king. But the road to that kingship, the actual manifestation of what he was anointed to be, wasn't instantaneous. Between being anointed and becoming king, there was a learning process. And that learning process was fraught with difficulty. Right after the anointing came on him, the Bible says the spirit left Saul. And Saul now became deranged. The only way he could find any form of comfort was for somebody to play music. And they found somebody to play music for him. Guess who they found? Supernaturally, David, who was tending the sheep, suddenly found himself in the court of the king. Almost overnight. But that doesn't mean that King Saul saw him and said, oh, wonderful, you can be king. Take the crown, sort of fling it over. No, no, no. In fact, Saul wanted to kill him. That was the start of his problems. If you think that the moment you get born again, that's the end of all your problems, think again. Up till the time I was born again, my life was pretty cozy. I was merely going to hell, of course, but I was quite comfortable in the process. The moment I got saved, things changed. I suddenly had an enemy that I never had before. Although he had always been my enemy, but I'd been working for him, I was ignorant. And things got even worse when I got full to the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is indispensable to being anointed because the anointing comes with the supernatural power of God which comes with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the anointed one. So here we have it. We have David going through the motions. First Saul wants to kill him. He has to flee for his life. Well, before that even happens, what does he have to confront? Goliath. There, as a young teenager, he takes food to his brothers. They're fighting Goliath. They're performing, as it were, praise and worship there on the mountain on one side and the enemies on the other side. And every now and then the devil comes and just challenges them in the form of Goliath. And they just say, oh, we're having a praise session, you see, just like the church. Carry on praising God. Won't deal with the issue, you see. Now what had to happen? Somebody had to deal with the issue. Otherwise, Israel was going nowhere. Who do you think was supposed to take on the giant? Well, obviously, the king. That was his job. The king's job is to take on the giant, and then the foot soldiers can take on the rest. Why do you think Saul was too scared to take on the giant? I'll tell you why. The anointing had left him, you see. And that's why most Christians will not take on the devil, because they know nothing about the anointing. It takes courage to face up to the devil, but don't think that you'll feel the anointing before you can go and fight. No, it's only when we fight that the anointing will come on us. That's the key to the anointing, actually, to step up to the plate. But you see, David had to take on Goliath. And the only difference between him and everybody else was that, well, he did have the anointing upon his life, but he wasn't afraid. He went ahead, you see. I can guarantee any soldier amongst the armies of Israel, if they had been bold enough to go and take on Goliath, they had been appointed by God. They were the holy nation. They had the right to victory. They could have gone and taken on the giant. The moment any soldier, no matter how big or small, had taken on the giant, the anointing of God would have come upon him and given them the power to overcome. That's the nature of the devil. It always looks bigger than we are. But you see, it's only when we stand up in the power of God and let the anointing of God flow through us that we can take this thing on and have victory. 
But anyway, David goes through this process. It doesn't end there. Saul turns on him, becomes enemy number one. State enemy number one. He gets persecuted. He gets uh, let down by his closest friends, betrayed. Goes through the mill. Goes through the mill. At one stage, he had the opportunity to kill Saul in the cave of Adullam. He refused to do it. Why? He recognized, no, this anointing that is upon me is God. Cannot take it into my own hands. Another lesson about the anointing. It's of God, you see. We're going to learn about that just now. But you see, he went through a difficult time. But the point is, by the time God was able to replace Saul with David, David understood this anointing on his life. He had paid the price to carry the anointing. He had paid the price to carry the anointing. Saints of God, if you and I want to live an anointed life, to do great exploits for God, we have to pay a price to carry that anointing. We have to pay a price. And the price is, generally speaking, we have to die to our own abilities and strengths, etc. We have to die to that. And there's a very good reason for that. And I'd like us just to look at the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4. I'm going to read from verse 5 to 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, from 5 to 10. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Yeshua the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Yeshua's sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Yeshua, the Anointed One. Now this is the important verse. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Do you see that? But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. This treasure is the awesome power of the living God. You see? But that excellence has to be of God and not of us. And the key to this whole anointing is having the courage to step up to the plate and trust God to do what God has to do. Let me tell you, that's the process of learning how to yield to the anointing. In the church, ministry as the body of Christ, that's exactly how the Holy Spirit works. Speaks about all the gifts of the Holy Spirit that operate when we come together. And you see, the Bible describes it in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are there. They're available. And as the Holy Spirit gives the nudge, actually anoints people, we are required to step out. And the way it's supposed to work is this, you see. Although we are anointed to operate with the Holy Spirit, that's a general anointing. When we come together, the key is to learn the specific anointing for a specific moment. The way God designed it was not that one mighty man of God operates in all the gifts to show off and draw attention to himself. The way it's supposed to work is when we gather, you see, and there are issues in the congregation, one person might have an anointing to operate in a particular gift, 
and then another can operate in another gift, and in all those gifts we get the job done. Imagine if somebody was sick. You see, one person has a word of knowledge to explain to us what that sickness actually is. Another might have the gift of faith to be able to pray for that person and expect that healing to take place. You see, another one has a gift of tongues. Another one, the interpretation. In a sense, the Holy Spirit moves, anointing everybody individually to cooperate and to manifest Christ in our midst. That is what the anointing is about, the supernatural power of God, the supernatural power to get the job done, you see. And as we learn how to operate like that, the beautiful thing is everybody should come away whole and nobody except the Lord can get the credit. That's exactly what the plan was, you see. But it takes you and I as individuals understanding that we have this treasure in earthen vessels and not to be so obsessed as it were by the earthen vessel but rather be available for that anointing to flow through us. The big key to operating with the anointing is to yield. You see, we have to learn how to yield. As I've said before, this anointing doesn't come before we require to operate. We get the nudge to operate, but it's only when we step out, when we step up to the plate, as it were, that that anointing will flow. I've discovered this on many occasions, and it's almost as if the Lord has asked me to step even further out of the boat every single time. When I was young in the ministry or young in church in charismatic circles, I was sitting in a congregation where people did speak and prophesy in tongues, etc. The gifts were permitted. I knew nothing about it, but I did have an urge to say something, which I don't think is unusual in my life. But I just knew that I had to say something, and I spoke possibly the most profound prophecy that I've ever spoken in my life. At that occasion, I was aware that God wanted me to say something. But you see, he made it clear then, but as I grew in the Lord, it became less and less clear when I needed to speak. God would just give me a nudge and expect me just to step out. And as you step out, the anointing comes to speak. You see, that's how it works. We're supposed to learn how to pick up when God wants us to do something. When we know that we're anointed to do something, we're appointed to do something. But we might be appointed to do something and not feel any unction to do it, might not feel the empowerment. But if we know and learn how to hear God's voice and we do step out, we can expect the power to come upon us. One example that I can remember very clearly, I was minding my own business in a service and the Lord told me that I need to stand up and prophesy. I had prophesied before, so that wasn't difficult. I said, okay, fine, I'll do that when the time comes. But he said, no, I don't want you to prophesy. I want you to go and sing. I said, but Lord, my voice is not exactly operatic. And basically said, I don't care. And then he said, furthermore, I don't want you just to sing. I want you to go and sit behind that piano over there, play and sing. And the obvious question is, well, what must I sing? And the answer was, you'll find out when you get there. I'm just sharing this to illustrate a point. I didn't feel any unction to create a song right there. 
But I had the instruction. And that was a long walk across that church to that piano, let me tell you. What I need to say is that when I sat down and when I opened my mouth and put my fingers to the ivory, so to speak, that's when the anointing hit me. And that's when what I sang, I believe, was empowered. And I sense that that whole service took on a new level from that moment forward. I could have sat in my seat and let it just happen and we'd all gone home and said, oh, lovely service. And I'm sure it was a good service. But you understand something? We've got to be free to do these things and grow in them. I could never have done that 20 years ago. But God had stretched me, you see, to the place where I knew that he told me. Another example that I've shared is in that same church. On one occasion, I was sitting at the back with the family. We arrived a bit late. The service was in progress. And the Holy Spirit said to me, I want you to preach the message. And I said, well, Lord, you've got it wrong on this occasion. A, I'm not scheduled to preach. B, I'm not a minister in this church. And C, they probably don't even know I'm here. And D, I haven't got a clue what you want me to say. Nonetheless, the Spirit kept nudging me, and I said, well, I'll do something about it. I spoke to the lady in charge of the meeting. I just said to her, please, I just have this urge, this nudge, and if you feel it's right, I'm willing to do the message. They had organized for a person well-versed in the Scriptures, a man with a whole stream of theological degrees to preach on that particular Sunday. And I thought, well, I'm off the hook for sure. I've done my job. And obviously I've got it wrong, so she'll just carry on, because she was a bit upset with me for saying this. Nonetheless, I went back to my seat. Lo and behold, lo and behold, the time came for the message. She stood up and said, oh, Brother, I'm afraid, thank you very much for preparing, but somebody else is going to share. Guess who that somebody else was? So I was on the spot. Now I've got to walk from the back of the church to the pulpit. And in that space of time, I've got to find out, dear God, what am I supposed to preach on? But can I tell you, when I got to the pulpit, the message came. And it's quite possible that people sitting there had no clue that this had never been prepared. What am I saying? What am I saying? You see, the anointing was available for that particular service. Had I gone there and pushed myself and said, I've got a lovely message and told everybody. Not appointed, as good as the message might be. Let me tell you, a simple message that is appointed for that moment is far more powerful than the most profound, deeply researched message that is not appointed. In the same way, the word in season that you speak to somebody in the queue waiting for the checkout point, the supermarket, if it's the word God's placed in your heart and it's anointed, it'll change a life. It'll change a life. Brothers and sisters, we've got to understand this. As children of God living in this dark age, the Syrian is out to destroy us. The only way to fight back is with the anointing. In the schools, in the workplace, in halls of government, at home, in the workshop, in the court of law, 
wherever we find ourselves, in the universities, if we are studying, if we are teaching, if we are trading, if we are doing business, if we are counseling, if we are preaching, it doesn't matter what it is. We need the anointing. Children of God, we need the anointing. We need to operate with the edge. We carry this treasure in earthen vessels. We need to respect it. We need to be prepared to pay a price for it. But in the end, it's the key to victory. And it's all made possible by the anointed one dwelling in us by the anointing, which is the Holy Spirit. You see, that word anointing literally means to rub. To rub. And that's what happened with the oil. It was rubbed in, you see. Rubbed in. We need the anointing. We need to gather with saints that are under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Why? In that environment, what does the Holy Spirit do? He rubs us. He rubs us with the anointing. He rubs us with the anointing oil. So that when we go from that place, from week to week, we carry with us into the workforce, into the dark world we live, the precious anointing, that which is able to break the yoke. Be blessed in the mighty name of Yeshua. Amen. <laughs>